It should be more meaningful than a nicely sculpted piece of wood. It should be more meaningful than a elegantly shaped piece of gold or silver that we wear around our necks. Jesus went to the cross so that we, through his death and resurrection, might have a personal relationship with God. To the Christian, the cross is a shorthand expression meaning the death of Jesus by which he made full atonement for sin. It's Jesus stretched out between heaven and earth suffering more than anyone has ever suffered for you and I. The Gospels contain a wonderful commentary on the cross itself in the words of Jesus himself. Seven sayings are recorded. If there are more, we don't know about them. But surely it's significant that seven is God's perfect number. These words from the cross reveal God's answer to our basic need. The first word this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 23, verse 34. And I'm going to be scanning through several of the Gospels this morning as we go. Luke 23, 34. Jesus says, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Forgive them, Jesus said. Now just who was Jesus referring to when he said them? There were many groups of people around the cross closest to him would have been the execution party. But perhaps they were the least guilty of all parties who were responsible for putting Jesus to death. After all, they were under strict instructions from the Roman governor and disobedience would have meant sure death to them. As Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, his eyes would have scanned across many different groups. There were teachers who hated him. There were priests who bought him for silver. There was the traitor who sold him to them. And the crowd who cried, crucify him. But I think that Jesus was encompassing a wider body of people as he prayed, Father, forgive them. Also standing there was that band of disciples who had been in constant contact with Jesus, 
for nearly three years. Had they lifted a finger to try to stop it? As Jesus endured the torture of crucifixion, they failed to even make a token protest. All these groups either actively or passively helped to crucify Jesus. They were all guilty. But they are only representative of a much larger number. Because the message of the Bible is that it was the sin of the world which crucified Jesus. The gospel writers wrote, they crucified Jesus. Who crucified Jesus? I did. And you did. And they did. Every one of us is equally guilty. The wonder of this word from the cross is that there is forgiveness. Forgiveness for the disciples who forsook Jesus and fled in the night. Forgiveness for the ones that drove him to the cross. Forgiveness for the soldiers that had the task of nailing him to the cross. Forgiveness for the bitter hearts of the priests and the teachers. Forgiveness for every person who has ever sinned or made a mistake. Forgiveness for you and forgiveness for me. Thank God there is forgiveness. Amen? But it is a forgiveness that has to be taken individually drawn upon in the way that God has planned. Years later, one of the disciples, John, restated this truth when he wrote, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's in 1 John, verse, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. That's the first word from the cross. The second word from the cross also comes from the book of Luke, chapter 23, this time verse 43. Verse 43 says, And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, I'm going to try not to go over this uh, too extensively here because tonight's sermon will be on this same passage. So I'm going to say what needs to be said and move on. Um, the second word from the cross, Luke 2343, Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. The first word from the cross embraced all mankind with the potential for forgiveness. The second word narrows its focus to one single needy sinner. God not only sees the whole world, but he sees it 
made up of individuals. On that fateful day, there were two thieves who were crucified alongside Jesus. One to his left and one to his right. It soon, uh, something about the way that Jesus carried himself or conducted himself must have convicted one of those thieves. It soon dawned on him that he was witnessing something not of this earth. Instead of curses from the lips of Jesus as the soldiers hammered the nails, it was a prayer of forgiveness that was witnessed. It seems likely that this man had known of the life of Jesus, for when the other thief was casting out abuse, this fellow tried to restrain him. And he told him that although they were receiving their just reward, Jesus had done nothing wrong. An evil man, yes. But he feared God. And that was the beginning of his repentance. No man is beyond the hope of redemption. No man is beyond the hope of redemption in whose soul still lingers some fear of God. And as this thief who hung beside Jesus spoke, faith rose up in his soul and he blurted out, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. It was a plea that did not fall on deaf ears. The response was immediate. Jesus says, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word paradise is a Persian word meaning a walled garden. When a Persian king wished to do one of his subjects a special honor, he made him a companion of the garden. And he was chosen to walk in the royal garden with the king as a companion. It was more than immortality that Jesus promised. He promised the honored place of a companion in the courts of heaven. He promised the honored place as Jesus' companion. Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise. This word from the cross teaches us some wonderful truths. It illustrates that the way of salvation is wondrously simple. The devil has blinded the eyes of men and women to thinking that it is hard to be saved or hard to become a Christian. But it clearly is not true. The man was saved simply by asking. 
in the words of his request, there's the implication that he felt confessed, that he felt and confessed his need, his need of salvation. He believed that the Lord could and would save him. And he committed himself and trusted him to do just that. This word reminds us that the worst sinner may be saved. There's no doubt that this criminal, this man was a criminal, but the measure of his sin didn't alter his chance of being saved. Let no one despair in thinking they are too bad or too far gone to be saved. As the hymn writer puts it, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus of pardon receives. Another important lesson to learn is that salvation doesn't depend on any religious ceremonies or good deeds or any contributions from man. There was no time for any of these things to take place. I once read that salvation is free yet costly. The entrance fee into the kingdom of heaven is nothing at all. But once you're in, the annual membership is everything you've got. There is one further point to mention before we leave this word this morning. There were two thieves. There were two thieves crucified with Jesus. One on his left and one on his right. One repented and one did not. The time of decision came for both men. The choice of rebellion or repentance. Now we may think that time is on our side, but beware. The next moment is promised to no one. Someone once said that the story of the dying thieves was recorded so that no one need despair and as a dire warning to presume on God's mercy by delaying trusting in Christ. Thank God for a conscience. That little voice within us that tells us that we've done wrong, that nags us to the point of hurting for the mistakes that we've made. It's then we too can look up to God and say, Lord, Remember me. Our third word this morning from the cross comes from the book of John, chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. Jesus says this. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, Standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. 
Then he said to the disciple, Behold, your mother. And from that hour forward, the disciple took her into his own home. The second word from the cross ministered salvation to the penitent sinner. But the third word introduces us to wider implications of this great salvation. It illustrates for us relationship. It illuminates relationship as seen through the cross of Jesus Christ. A psychologist said, there are two things that men want, power and love. At the very heart of all of our wanting is the love that Jesus gave from the cross. The disciple that Jesus refers to is John, and his gospel contains several of the most important statements that Jesus made on love. John 15, 13, Greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. John 3.16, this one we should all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now I wonder what thoughts were passing through Mary's mind as she saw her son in such extremity. I'm sure she was suffering. And it was suffering for Jesus. And it was suffering for Jesus to see his mother suffer. He suffered because she suffered. Here he is touched with his mother's suffering. But did you catch what he said to her? He doesn't refer to her as mother, rather as woman. The reason is probably that Mary must no longer think of him as her son. The more she thinks of him as her son, the more she will suffer. Mary must now begin to think of Jesus as her Lord, as her Savior. Even then, she's going to suffer. But now she will know that his suffering has a cause. has a purpose. There is a reason. Mary's emotional suffering must be replaced by something higher. This third word from the cross also reveals the relationship of Jesus and his disciples. It didn't require a long explanation for John when Jesus told him your mother. John knew what Jesus meant. We read that 
From that hour on, John took Mary into his home. The question might be raised, why was Mary not committed into the care of one of her other children? The answer is probably because they as of yet hadn't received him by faith. John was ready and acted without hesitation. This word tells us that there's love for us at the cross. And it's a love which having been received is to now be shared with others. Let's move on to our fourth word from the cross this morning. It comes from the book of Matthew chapter 27 verse 46. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's surely symbolic here that the sun couldn't, couldn't shine upon such a scene. The darkness lasted for three hours. All the sin of the world, the awful legacy of the fall of mankind was laid upon Jesus. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Only the night before, Jesus had told his disciples that in his hour of trial, they would all desert him. But he said, Yet I am not alone. My Father is with me. But now, at the moment of making atonement for our sins, it was necessary that even his own father stand aside. Just as a scapegoat in the Old Testament had to be banished into the wilderness, so Jesus had to bear the sin of the world all alone. How Jesus felt as his cry broke the silence, we cannot know. Never before had he stood alone, forsaken by God his Father. Yet, although at that moment he was alone and forsaken, he never ceased to be his father's well-beloved son. For he was carrying out his father's will and purpose. This word from the cross points out the cost of the atonement that was made. Moving on to our fifth word now comes from the book of John, 
chapter 19, verse 28. John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. I thirst. The hours of torture that Jesus had just been through had took a tremendous toll on his body. See, crucifixion is not a sudden death. It's a long, drawn-out, lingering death. The 22nd Psalm speaks graphically of his condition. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Although Jesus was divine, he was also uniquely man. And he felt all the emotions and all the pain just as we feel them. Jesus had earlier refused to drink a drugged wine that alleviated some of the suffering. But now, his cry of thirst was to be met with a sponge dipped in wine vinegar. In fact, it was necessary that his lips should be moistened because Jesus still had two more words to utter that the world must clearly hear. And there was scripture still to be fulfilled. Psalm 69, 21 had predicted he would say, they gave me vinegar for my thirst. Jesus knew that his father's will required him to fulfill all that had been prophesied through the ages. This fifth word from the cross serves to tell us, friends, there was suffering at the cross. This is suffering for you The sixth word comes again from the book of John, this time verse 30. John 19, verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. The sixth word from the cross consists of one single word in the Greek, finished. What did Jesus mean? What was finished? Was he referring to his suffering? His life's work? Certainly those. But even more, the Old Testament contains a long list of prophetic utterances beginning with the first family of mankind. When God told the serpent in the Garden of Eden that he would put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel in Genesis 3.15.
Jesus' cry was proclaiming his victory over the evil one. In the struggle between good and evil, the Son of Man had suffered. True. But he had finished the work of redemption. It was a shout of victory over sin. It was a shout of victory over death. And it was a shout of victory over hell. Jesus had offered himself without spot or blemish. And by that one sacrifice, he had done all that was required to reconcile the world unto God. It is finished. The world tells us there is nothing left. The word tells us there is nothing left for man to do but enter into the results of Christ's finished work. The word for finished was used in business life in those days to indicate that a debt had been paid. That's what Jesus was proclaiming here on the cross. It is paid. Man's account with God has been settled. The debt is wiped out. Salvation has been obtained for all those who accept and rely on the finished work of Calvary. Yes, folks, there is victory in the cross. Our seventh and final word this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 23, verse 46. And it says this, And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last breath. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus had come from his Father, and to his Father he would return. But first he had to die physically. These words tell us that his life didn't just ebb away. In fact, Jesus had previously said that no one could take his life. But he said, I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. And so it was that Jesus consciously gave his life for ours. The seventh word from the cross is in fact a quotation from Psalm 31. It was composed by David when in some great trouble he put his trust in God. Like David, Jesus could still say, but I trust you, O Lord. My times are in your hands. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This speaks of his confidence and his security in God. This is the security 
comes from knowing him who, who we have believed and are persuaded that he is able to keep that which we have committed unto him. Yes, there is eternal security in the cross. My question for you this morning, have you been to the cross? Have you been to the cross of Jesus Christ? The cross meant death for Jesus. But praise God, it is the place of life. It's the place where life is ministered to us through his death. Allow these wonderful words from the cross to speak to you this morning. Feed on them in your heart by faith. Father, forgive them. There is forgiveness in the cross. Today, you will be with me. There's salvation for us in the cross. Woman, here is your son. There's love for us at the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is atonement for each of us at the cross. I thirst. Remember, there was a lot of suffering went on at the cross for us. It is finished. Jesus was the victor over sin for us at the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. There is eternal security for us at the cross. May the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ be our source of inspiration and our entrance into the family of God. This morning, you're in our invitation. If you've never been to the cross, I invite you to come this morning. If you're not a member of the family of God, friends, he's inviting you. During this invitation, why don't you come to the cross? Let's pray. Father in heaven, this morning we come to you to give you thanks. Thanks for the cross of Jesus Christ our Lord. For the sin debt was paid for us. So that
and the work that they're doing and the things the Lord called you and everything that has gone down. Lord, we pray that you bring them home to a safe.